Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We're in a series in the book of Joshua. So we are, we're working our, through, our way through Joshua in a series we're calling Choose This Day and looking at some of the, the, the memorials that God put in place to remind us of His faithfulness, to remind us of His purposes, to remind us of His glory. And so we come to Joshua 5 and today uh, I, I, I wanted to, to preach all the way through it, but I knew that we'd only have about 25 minutes. So I'm gonna restrain myself and I'm gonna try and keep this to an encouragement in the Word of God uh, from chapter five. Let's dive straight into it. Reading from verse one, Joshua five. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the, the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. What a beautiful picture of what God has done where He's the one who's parted the seas. They've come through and the enemies have melted in fear and no longer have the courage to face the Israelites. Now watch this. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath, Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. We'll pause. Now I'm gonna say a particular word a few times in the next 20 minutes. So get used to it. But we're in, the, we're in the book of Joshua and I wanna paint that picture, right? The, the people of Israel have come through the Jordan quite miraculously. They know that they have a purpose ahead of them to claim the promised land that God promised to Abraham. They know that God is on the move doing things. And it seems right and fitting that in crossing the Jordan, you would get yourself ready for war. And I wanna preach today on the title called Battle Ready. So if you're a note taker, Battle Ready. That this is the passage, this is the chapter where God prepares the people of Israel for war. You know, when I was uh, probably 10 years ago, I reckon, I went through a phase of of training for jujitsu and a bit of MMA, mixed martial arts. Now you might look at me and be like, what the heck? But I did. Uh, And I met this guy uh, from a church I used to be involved with and he was something else, right? This guy was, he was thick, he was tall. He had this massive cross tattoo all down his back. He was a legitimate guy training for mixed martial arts. And we sort of met at church and got chatting. I was like, bro, I'd I'd love to train that sport. (laughs) thinking it'd be fun and a bit of fitness and what he was like yeah let's do it so we we went hard for about six months right we'd, we'd get together with a couple of other guys and we'd be training we'd be doing probably sometimes two a day so strength training and we'd be doing like the basics of wrestling and that's a whole nother thing getting comfortable with another man on like wrestling on top of you sweating it's a weird sensation but once you're over that learning how to wrestle so we spent six months training like training in mixed martial arts. And, 
And then pre-season footy training started. So I went out to, to footy. And a part of that, in the, one of the first training sessions, our coach says, right, line up opposite each other. So there's this big line of guys facing each other. And he goes, on your knees. So we get on our knees and he goes, all right, pin your opponent. We're gonna have a little wrestle off. And I'm thinking, couldn't be more perfect. <laughs> I'd literally been training how to wrestle for six months. And so without bragging, it was just person after person after person that you'd lock arms, you'd engage, you'd be like, boom, you're over, pin. I felt awesome. I felt so confident. I felt so good about myself. I was like, this is fantastic. So the next day I go to training with the guy who's training me and I'm like, I reckon I got you covered, bro. <laughs> and I said to him, all right, let's have a wrestle. And he was like, are you sure? I said, I'd love, let's do it, we're on. I said, one rule, no punching, because I like my face and I don't want to die. Because when that guy punched, he had some serious power. So we th- he was like, all right, let's do it. So we lock arms and we grapple, we start. And I'm thinking, I reckon I've got this guy. I kid you not, within half a second, my heels are up here. <laughs> my head is down here. And the next thing I know, I am flat on my back, completely winded. He is in the position called full mount where basically they're kneeling on top of you. My arms are pinned and he's just pretending to throw punches at my face. (laughs) You know what he said to me at that moment? He just goes, a man of few words. He just goes, hmm, not ready. (laughs) Again, I spent half an hour that morning being flipped, flopped, flung in every direction as he made a point that just because you've had a little bit of success doesn't mean you're ready for battle. And I think when we enter the Christian life, we pass through the waters, we saw it today, pass through the waters from death to life. God does amazing things. But just because we've had one moment where we say Jesus Christ is Lord, doesn't mean that we're necessarily ready for the battle that is ahead. That the Christian life is more than just about a decision. It's more than about a moment, but it's about a lifetime of following Jesus and a lifetime of Him working in our lives, chipping away at the edges, refining us, purifying us, and indeed preparing us to fight the good fight of faith. We prayed that this morning. I love that imagery that Paul uses in, in his letters, like especially to Timothy, where at that, the end of 2 Timothy, where it's this combative language. I have fought the good fight. You know, I have finished the race. There's this beautiful picture of what the Christian life is, that it is more than just sticking your hand up. It's more than a moment. It is a lifestyle and it is a battle. We read in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, amen? That there is a battle that we are called, there is a battle in the heavenlies, there is a battle in the spiritual realm and it's a kingdom battle and God brings about His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God's God's mission, we've talked about this over and over again in establishing His kingdom is to use His people, which seems crazy, God is the God who literally splits the waters and He's like, now you guys get ready because you're gonna take the land. 
Now, if I'm Israel, I'm like, can you just do it for me, please? Anybody? Doesn't it make more sense? God, your God, just clear out the land. We'll walk into it. But that's not how He works. That God actually has a people who He wants to grow and refine and draw towards Himself and prepare us, draw us into His likeness that we might truly be His hands and feet on the earth, that we might be ready for the battle. And as we come to chapter five, what we see is God's way of preparing His people for all that lies ahead. God's way of preparing us for battle. And it is not what you would expect. When I think I'm gonna be prepared for battle, I'm thinking I'm sharpening the sword. I think I'm in the weights room. I think I'm doing my MMA. I'm getting ready to fight. And look what God does. Verse two, the people are trembling in fear. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. Some of you didn't hear that. (laughs) So picture it, you're crossing the Jordan. There's excitement, there's energy. There's like, there's literally water standing up and you're walking on dry ground. You're like, oh, you know, you've got the theme song going. You're ready to go. You got your pump up music happening. We're like, it's go time, come on. And then God comes to Joshua. You're like, yeah, let's go. This is gonna happen. And he goes, Joshua, I've got something for you. Joshua's like, yeah, come on, the army's awesome. Yep, they're great. They're strong. Look how ready that. Yeah, they're fantastic. But Joshua, something's missing. They're not circumcised. And you picture, just imagine Joshua in this moment. He's probably just like, um, hang on. Do you, do you mean what I, what I think you mean? Do you want me to do what I think you're asking me to do? Now, for anyone in the room right here who doesn't know what circumcision is, let me explain it to you in a non-descriptive way through the passage. Picture Lobethal. Anyone who's driven through Lobethal recently? Here's what I love about Lobethal. You build a post office and you call the street Post Office Street. You build a school and you call the street next to it School Street. You build a road on a ridge. What should we call that? I don't know, let's call it Ridge Road. Like names just get named after the thing that's right there. Now, what you'll see here is that the Israelites, where circumcision happened, they called it Gibeath Haraloth. Do you know what Gibeath Haraloth means? Young people, block your ears. It literally means place of the foreskin. That's, you put two and two together. If you still don't understand, talk to your parents, don't Google it. (laughs) It is a debilitating thing. It is a very painful thing. All these adult men ready for battle or supposedly ready for battle and the first thing God calls them to do in order to become battle ready is to go through a painful death of the flesh. He says, you're not ready because it's not by my or by power, but by my spirit. And what I need you to do is I need to cut off what you hold dear and surrender it to me. Now I can see some of you giggling about This is a very stark, true reality. And it shows something about what's happened to Israel over the last 40 years. 
because the people of Israel, when they left Egypt, this circumcision was a covenant between them and God. It was a covenant of commitment. It was a sign that I am set apart from the rest of the world. I am gonna come out from the world. I'm gonna be not of the world. I will be at work in the world, but I'm gonna be set apart for the glory of God. It was a sign given to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis that every male child on the eighth day would have this thing done. And for some reason, for 40 years, as soon as they left Egypt, it stopped happening. And so God says, you guys have broken covenant. You've broken covenant. You, not only is there a reproach where you disobeyed and you didn't have faith, you didn't trust me by taking the promised land 40 years ago, but more than that, you've now disobeyed me in your forsaking of a covenant that I made with you. And so before we go anywhere else, there has to be a death of flesh. There has to be a coming back to covenant. There has to be a deep commitment and a longing to say, yes, I'm gonna be set apart. I am going to lay down my life and take up my cross and follow you. That there is something that happens in us when we come to Christ, something that God calls us to where we are set apart. Now the New Testament makes this perfectly clear that it's no longer a circumcision of the, a physical circumcision, but it's a circumcision of the heart. Paul in, in Romans chapter two says this, a person is not a Jew, so someone who was a child of God set apart, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. In Galatians 5 verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. But the covenant remains, amen? that when we come to Christ, that there is a death to the flesh, the flesh symbolising that which is drawn to the world, that which is of me that is not of Christ. It's this picture of that which is so intimate to me, something that I long for. And we talked, Sam and Conrad both mentioned this, something that like I'm drawn to the world, but it's saying, no, that has to die. You've got to cut that off and surrender our lives to Christ. It's no longer an external ritual that becomes an internal reality. That my heart is yours. That the old is gone, the new has come. That I will die to self and follow you. That I'll say no to some things because I know those things are not of your kingdom and by your power and your grace with me carrying my cross, I will now follow you and say yes to the kingdom. And I think the church has lost this so much. We've lost this whole idea that when Christ calls us, He doesn't call us to comfort, He calls us to a cross. That the Christian life, that first call, the battle, is not supposed to be easy. Yes, it's victorious. And yes, it's glorious. And yes, it's full of joy, but that doesn't mean there's not pain. It doesn't mean that there's not a dying to self. No, it's a picking up of the cross and a chasing after the king. Are you with me? 
And it's so, it seems so unusual that this would be the first thing, but God's ways are not our ways, amen? And His thoughts are not our thoughts. And that actually we're gonna find strength for the battle in surrender as opposed to strength. That it's not about how good we are, how strong we are, how well prepared we are, how powerful we think we might be, no matter how good our strategies are for reaching the world for Christ. No, actually what Christ is after is obedience. And He says, for 40 years you haven't obeyed me and it's time to come back to covenant. It's time for the death of flesh that I would know that you, your hearts are fully devoted to me. That Second Chronicles passage has been on my heart all week. Second Chronicles 16, for the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking to show strong favour to those whose hearts are fully devoted to Him. The circumcision of the heart is a picture of devotion. For Israel, the circumcision of the flesh was a picture of devotion as they're entering into a Canaanite world with pagan gods and all sorts of what might appear to be wonders. He says, no, 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 no. I'm looking for a people whose hearts are fully devoted to me. And when your hearts are fully devoted to me, then, 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 do you begin to be battle ready. It seems strange, but it's God's way. Number two, what we see, which I just love in this passage. Let's, let's keep reading. Uh, so they go through this. Let's read from verse nine. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach, the reproach of Egypt from you. So he's basically saying, I have covered disobedience. As you've died to self and you've, you've come into covenant with me, the disobedience of the generation before you has been rolled away. Gilgal literally means to roll. It's been rolled away. It's been removed from you, So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now watch this, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. So on the 14th day, Israel celebrated the Passover. What is the Passover? The Passover is a celebration of what God did in delivering the generation before from Egypt. After the the 10th plague where the, the angel came over and literally just this incredible move of God to release Egypt from captivity into freedom, this act of liberation. It's the celebration of salvation. And Israel were commanded to do this Every year, celebrate the Passover, celebrate the Passover. Now, fascinatingly, in order to celebrate the Passover, you first had to be circumcised. And the last time we read that Israel did this was in Numbers chapter nine. And so we would presume, seeing as though none of them had been circumcised and they haven't done it for 40 years, that actually they haven't celebrated the Passover for 40 years. And so while there's this death of flesh and a call to covenant, the second thing to be battle ready is actually to a celebration of salvation. That we look back and we say, look what Christ has done in my life. That we would celebrate the fact that 
Once I was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. And again, I think for us, the word is the church today is that we need to remember what Christ has done. For Israel, for 40 years, they've wandered in the desert. For 40 years, there's a promised land up there. But if you've got a generation that's never celebrating the Passover, and maybe that means it's quite easy to stop telling the story. For 40 years, this generation knows that they're going somewhere someday, but their parents had stopped telling them about the salvation of God. And God comes to Joshua and says, now before we can get, before we can go to battle, before we can claim the land, you gotta remember. You've gotta come back and you need to celebrate what I've done before, knowing that I will do it again. And there's something about celebrating what God has done. There's something about baptisms, isn't there church? You're awfully quiet today. There's something, so we love it when we see someone get up and share a testimony. When someone goes in the waters and comes out of the waters, there's something within us that, that gets stirred up. We're like, yeah, why? Because we're celebrating salvation. We're celebrating what God has done. It's good for our souls. And we need to get in the habit of constantly celebrating our salvation constantly recounting what the Lord has done, constantly reminding ourselves and the next generation and the next generation, this is where I was, this is what I was struggling with, but look what the Lord has done. And that's what the Passover is about. Look what the Lord has done. Do you know what? We just came through the waters of the Jordan. Do you remember 40 years ago? He did the exact same thing but through a Red Sea. And He brought us to this same place, to the edge of the Jordan River. And what did they do? They disobeyed, they distrusted, and they walked for 40 years because of it. And He's going, no more. This, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will remember what He's done. We will put our faith in His glory and His, and His salvation and His power. And we will go into this land with confidence, not in my strength, but in who He is. Because if he's done it before, he'll do it again. Just this morning, reading the Scriptures, Psalm 90, and I was struck by the beautiful verse in Psalm 90, and it says, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. I don't know about any of you, but I don't like numbering my days. There are people in this church, and I won't name them, who have a habit of constantly reminding me that next year is my 40th birthday. <laughs> and we don't wanna celebrate age in this generation. We don't wanna celebrate age in the West. It's all about being younger and younger and younger. But the Bible says that we actually should number our days because it's in numbering our days that we get a heart of wisdom. It's in numbering our days where we recognise that actually I'm not invincible, that I am not gonna live forever in the flesh. So I might as well die to the flesh and come alive in the spirit. It's in numbering our days that we look back on our life and we remember what God has done over and over again. If all we ever do is look forward, we forget to remember. And that's what Joshua is about. Hey, 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 I've got something in your future, but there's also something that I want you to remember from your past. 
because what I've done, I will do again. We are called to celebrate our salvation. Band, you can come up and I'm gonna close. How good's that? 25 minutes, come on. But there's one more thing I've got to quickly show you. Because verse 10, on the evening of the 14th day, they were circumcised on the 10th day. And on the 14th day, they celebrated. So they were still in pain when God called them to the Passover. And sometimes for us, we have a habit of only celebrating God when things are good. Come on, somebody. We have a habit of only praising God when my life is up here. But what God's gonna teach the Israelites right here is you're circumcised on the 10th day. You are still in pain and yet I want you to shout some praise. You are still in pain, but I want you to come around and celebrate what I've done. Because a day's gonna come when you're gonna be at battle and things aren't gonna go so well and you still need to give me the glory that is due my name, even when your life doesn't look like you thought it was gonna look. Anybody been there? We heard about parents today faithfully praying for children where there was pain but there was still Passover, amen? What would a people look like who learned to celebrate God, learned to celebrate salvation, learned to believe in who God is and His promises and what He's done, even when life doesn't look like we wanted it to look? That we would take Passover in the midst of pain. And here's the fruit, verse 12, verse 11, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate the food. Isn't that interesting? God calls them to covenant, to this moment of dying to flesh. He then says, celebrate my salvation through Passover. And the very next day, the manna stops. What's that a symbol of? It's a symbol of the next season. For 40 years it was wilderness and I gave you just what you needed. Now you're coming into a season of abundance where you're gonna eat the produce of the land. Don't forget the manna, don't forget the quail. Don't forget the water from the rock. Don't forget the waters parting at the Jordan or the Red Sea. Don't forget what I have done so that you will never mistake my provision, my abundance for the work of your hands. But you will always, always, always remember that I am the Lord and it is my promise and it is my work through my people so that you will always give me praise. Amen. 
I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you feel like you're a Gibeath Haraloth and you're in a bit of pain. I'd encourage you this morning to come to Passover and give Him praise. Or, or maybe, maybe you're in the next few verses, which we don't have time for, we'll get to them next week. But maybe you're standing, but you're in, you're in a good place. You're standing before the commander of the Lord. Maybe you're standing down the walls of Jericho, which have fallen down and you're like, yeah, God's good. Don't forget, it's not you, it's Him. And bring Him praise. Praise is an act of humility. Prayer is an act of humility. It reminds us of our reliance on God and God alone. Don't forsake it. Don't forget it. For He is good. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.